Our scripture reading today is found in John 15, 1 through 17. Uh, Let us stand for the reading of God's word. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself; it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Jesse Oaks, and I am the high school pastor here at Lake Avenue Church. And let me welcome you again, especially if you're visiting in town for the parade or the game. We know you have a lot of options when choosing churches in Pasadena. We thank you for choosing Lake Avenue Church. Um, could, it, is, it is really a huge honor and privilege to preach this morning, especially with my good friend and boss, Jeff Matisich. I'm going to get us started. And he'll take us the rest of the way. Make sure you meet me right now in John 15. That's where we'll be. Keep that open right there. And if, as you're turning there, you're thinking, well, you know, I've never seen Jesse up there before. I can't recall the last time. He, maybe we missed it. Maybe we were out of town. No, you weren't. You've been here. This is actually my maiden voyage up here on Sunday morning. So I'm glad to share it with you. So that's great. Thank you. So good. Applause is good. Laughing at my jokes is good. Even if they're not that funny, maybe just extend me this extra courtesy. Um, And now I hope we're all in John 15. Let me pray and then we will get started. God, we are gathered here in your name and for your sake. Thank you so much for the gift of scripture um, that we have something through which you would speak to us. God, help us to tune our hearts and our ears to whatever it is you might be saying this morning. Lord, help us to believe, help us to believe that you would speak to us, 
and that you do care about us. You're this huge, omniscient, omnipotent, all-present God, and yet you want to fit into our lives as well. And Lord, please, would you, for me and Jeff, think with our minds and speak with our mouths that what's heard today isn't simply our voices but yours, and what's taken home is not what we have to say but what you've already said. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, in two days, we ring in the new year. And with it, many of us will ring in a brand new set of New Year's resolutions. That's right. 2013 will be the year that we finally do it. You know? And New Year's resolutions, they're those lifestyle changes that we make in order to form new habits. We hope that the new year will give us a new momentum for a new season. And I did some quick Googling, some quick internet searching on our most common New Year's resolutions. And they all go something like this, you know, uh, exercise more, right? Or spend more time with family and friends. Or manage debt and money better. Learn a new language. Or perhaps see if I can get a different job. Volunteer to help others or, or take a trip to somewhere I've never been. I want to see Paris. These are all New Year's resolutions and they all have something in common and it's not the fact that they'll all be broken by mlk weekend some of them actually last all the way to you know valentine's day uh they all have something in common and you know what even if you don't make new year's resolutions anymore if you're like me and just the shame of breaking them is too much and so you decide i'm not going to do that anymore uh, we all have something in common whether we make new year's resolutions or not and that's the desire that inspires these New Year's resolutions. It's this wish for ourselves and for the world. And if I could distill it down to its simplest sentence, I think we could distill it down to this. I want a better life. I want a better life. I think I even have a slide for you with that. There, check that out. I want a better life. Would you say that with me? I know it's a little weird, but when we're in church, you know, you can do quirky things. Ready? I want a better life. And I know you do, because it's something in all of us. And, and also, I've, I've never, ever had a conversation with anybody, and I don't think you have either, where they say, you know what? I think I would like things to remain the exact same forever. Or, or, or we have prayer after services, and we'll invite you to that at the end of this one. And out of the different years I've gotten to do this and meet some people and pray with them, no one's ever come up and said, you know, Jesse, I could really use some prayer today. Would you just ask the Lord to keep everything the exact same for as long as possible? That would be great. None of us want that. None of us have prayed that prayer. Because we all have a way that we want our lives and this world to be better. That's where our New Year's resolutions come from. We don't exercise just to be exercisers. And we don't travel to be travelers. We want a better life, and we think that these experiences might get us there. And so, let's say that again, and I want you to lean into the word better. You know, with like a little attitude, but not like attitude, just emphasis, you know? So we're going to say this again. I want you to lean into the word better, okay? Here we go. I want a better life. Perfect. And if that's true, and I believe it is, that's exactly the sort of place where our text meets us this morning. Make sure you have, we're going to start in the first verse of John 15. Because it's not something that we want for ourselves. It's also something that Jesus wants for us. He has not only this idea of how our lives could be better, but how they would be complete 
mature. We think of better, and we think of maybe learning Portuguese. He thinks of better, and he says that my joy might be in you, and your joy might be complete. That's exactly the place our text starts. So let's, let me read it with you again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, and the Greek word for clean is also pruned, so you're already clean slash pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you do remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus continues, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and here it is, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So this joy and this life, this better life that we want and Jesus wants for for us, how do we get there? And it's important that we do get there. And it's important because these are some of Jesus' last words that he ever spoke on earth. Last words are so interesting, especially when someone knows they're going to be their last. Jesus made sure he got this in. And so to understand what he's saying, we first need to actually go to school for a second on uh, vines and vine growing. And, and that's how Jesus started his, started his text today his, that we've recorded as a text. And so that's where we'll start. Vines and vine growing. This would have been really obvious in the ancient Near East, but not so much to someone like me who grew up around here. And so I have a picture. This is a vine and branches. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. The vine is kind of the thick part of the plant that we'd call it the trunk of the tree and the branches are the leafy things that grow off of the vine and of course the grapes up there the fruit jesus i'm the vine and you are the branches now why does jesus do this well something very interesting is that 2,000 years ago, there's a ton of things they didn't know about, and we think, well, we know a lot more because we have the benefit of time and technology, but something that they really did know about was vine growing. And stay with me if this isn't making sense yet. I'm going to come right into your neighborhood in just a minute. 
something they did know about was growing vines. They wrote about it extensively, and every, almost everyone had some experience, if not maybe a couple grape vines, for themselves. And out of this huge, vast wealth of data, Jesus could have mentioned to his followers, and they would have understood. He picks two things, two things to share with his disciples. Really big, important time, big, important illustration. Jesus picks two things to share with his followers about vine growing. The first is this. In order for branches, branches that are connected to the vine, in order for branches to be what they're meant to be, they have to do two things. And the first is to be pruned. Pruned. Why don't you say that with me? Be pruned. We'll say it again. Be pruned. What does that mean? We often think of prunes as a noun. Prunes is a noun. It does you know, things for your body. You eat them. They're healthy. But pruned as a verb means something different. That's actually, it comes from a need that the branch has. You see, a branch on its own would just start growing leaves and grapes all over the place. It doesn't know when to stop. And so what that would lead to a high quantity of grapes, right? But not really a high quality of grapes. It would lead to a lot of leafy branches, but not necessarily a ton of usefulness. It would lead to a lot of activity, but not necessarily a lot of productivity. And some of you are already starting to see where I want to go with this. Aren't we tempted to lead lives where we have quantity, but we're still wanting that quality? Where we have activity, but not necessarily productivity. That's where we're going. So a little tip off. That's where we're going. So anyway, Jesus sees this and he sees branches doing this, sees our lives needing this. And, and a pruner, a, a vine dresser would come and would clip off pieces of branch that are otherwise fine. They're leafy, they're green, they're delightful. But they are going to hold the branch back in the long run. Jesus is saying the father who loves us is going to prune us and maybe subtract some things, right? And so now this is where we start to talk about practicality. You can get ready to elbow your neighbor and maybe be elbowed back. Because pruning, and they're, they're, all, they're all things, some of these things we know should be out of our lives anyway. You know, addictions, destructive behaviors, things like that. We would all agree that those should not be there. But pruning usually involves something different. It involves things that are otherwise doing fine. And in my ripe old age of 30, I've been following Jesus for about 10 years in earnest. Before that, I was just kind of dabbling. And I've been pruned multiple times. So maybe you could go with me as I talk about pruning. Sometimes God prunes activities, right? Sometimes God wants to prune something like your fantasy football team. Or, or maybe the, if you don't know what fantasy football is, don't worry about it. It's, 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 it's fine. If you're a fantasy football team, that's great. But maybe God wants to prune that. Or maybe it's an actual football team. Maybe we follow a football team or a soccer team or something so much and it's starting to take a lot of our time and our resources and suddenly we find God asking for that. It, it could be something immaterial like I want to get my own way or I want to get my own way in just a few things, not in everything, but when it comes to these things, I get my own way and God might ask for that. Or it might be something that we like to do with our time. Maybe it's a bowling league or something like that. And bowling's fine. I'm not messing with anyone who, who loves bowling. Bowling's wonderful. But it can become something that God might want to prune. And God also, and this is something I've experienced in, in significant ways, God sometimes 
pruned relationships. There's some relationships, friendships, romantic relationships that God has ended up asking to be pruned. You heard that in Tim's story earlier. And if you're looking around the room and there's some people that are kind of sitting up straight and kind of with their eyes open, they might be sitting next to their branch for pruning right now. You know, kind of don't move. He's going to move on in a minute. And I just, I just ruined Sunday brunch afterward. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, one of the prunings I remember most poignantly was when God, I was 23. I was a couple years out of college and already my second career choice that I had tried it was already crashed and burned, just flaming out on the rocks. See, I graduated, and I was going to go into the music industry. It was going to be great. I had interned. I had driven many thousands of miles over the years to work for free. And I had finally gotten a job out of college, and I was going to go achieve. And, and that also fit into my need to feel like I was really cool. And so God was going to prune those things from my life. I got there, and it was a fun job, and it had perks, and you know, get to go to concerts and stuff. And the only tiny problem with it was I hated it. Uh, it was fun, but it wasn't fulfilling, right? It was activity, but it wasn't productivity. And so I let it go. I decided, God, you can have that. But, and I hadn't been following Jesus for that long, so I, instead of letting it go and then turning to God, I let it go, kind of gave a little nod to God, and kept going towards something else. So I started playing in bands, and, and that was fun, and doing music. Maybe I can be an, a music performer. Until that started not bearing fruit anymore. And then what do I do? I found myself a few years later, having tried these things, poured my heart and my soul and what little money I had, and I had a college degree, and I had no money, and I was living with my parents, and they're thinking, like, this is the plan? That's cute. It's great. And it wasn't until I stopped and considered, well, maybe this space is to create something else. And once I actually allowed that space to be there, I, I realized God was maybe calling me toward vocational ministry, which is weird because I don't have a ton of... I don't know what a youth pastor is. I didn't have one growing up. And so... I was being called into this, and even though it's weird and strange, I didn't know what to do, it's a place where I feel at home, and it's life-giving. And I realized that when God prunes us, God's not trying to be mean. God, you're trying to take away my rec soccer team. You're so mean, you know? Or God, you're trying to take away my poker night. You're so mean. No, God's not mean. God doesn't prune because God's mean. God prunes because God loves us. And on our own, we might get involved in all kinds of things that would take away from the full, the better life that we want. I wonder what sort of things God would prune from our lives if we let God do it. That's only the first thing, so we've got to keep moving. I'll let you think about that question. Jesus mentions one other thing of all viticulture. We said there's one, there's two. In order for branches to be what they are meant to be, they also have to remain in the vine. They have to stay well connected. We're going to say stay well connected in a second. Ready? Say say with me. Stay well connected. Good. Jesus mentions this word a lot. If you have a pencil or you can borrow a pen or you can go into your neighbor's you know, bag, as long as you know them, you can take a pen and underline that word. He says it a lot. Underline any of them. It comes from the Greek word meno. Meno. Not minnow. Meno. And it means to remain or abide. That's how it gets translated. But, but that's not quite a sufficient definition for us, because we think of remain, and that means like remain seated till the roller coaster has come to a complete stop. And abide kind of sounds like, you know, Amish, like it's a cute word. What does it mean? 
And I want to offer a different definition that will be outdated soon, but I think will be helpful for us today. The word nest. Nest. What does that even mean, nest? When a bird nests, I have a picture of a bird nesting too. Uh, When a bird nests, it's creating a somewhat permanent structure to raise its young and and to kind of do its little birdie thing for a few years. When a human nests, and there's a whole industry around this, I found like a magazine called The Nest. And when a human nests, see there it is, makeover issue. And when a human nests, it means we set up our lives to be in a place for a while. We're going to invest there. We're going to raise a family there maybe. We're going to invest in the city, in a job for a while. Why am I bringing this up? Because the Greek word meno, the Greek word meno means to stick with something and to remain in a place even when things get difficult, even when it begins to cost us something. Jesus is saying, stick with me. Stick with this relationship. Stick with me and my love for you. Even when, it's, it's not an if, it's a when, it begins to cost you something. Remain in my love. I've remained in my Father's love. Remain in my love. Now, we, th- we were saying, yeah, Jesse, I got this. I mean, I thought the second point was going to be kind of building on the first one. It's kind of, you know, stick with Jesus. Like, that's not really that profound, but, you know, great. Good for you. Nice tie. Um, but before we go there, you're nesting in Jesus, I get it. Before we go there, realize here's the temptation for every single one of us, from professional Christians, you know, it's like someone who's still seeking, is to not, we know we should nest with Jesus, but the temptation is not to nest, it's to network with Jesus. What do I mean by network? You know, networking is kind of a professional term. We maintain a number of relationships that are they're deep enough to where if we need a favor, then, then we can ask for it, but any deeper, and it's a little awkward. Because back, in the, back when I worked for a record label for a very short period of time, it wasn't like up here. I was very down here, you know, me and the other grunts. I would make friends with the grunts at the other record labels, and we could exchange CDs or maybe concert tickets. That was our networking. And I have a friend named Sam, and I told Saturday night that his name's not really Sam, but I just don't want you to find out who it is. You know, you've got to protect the names. And so uh, Sam and I would exchange CDs and things all the time. And that was normal. Hey, Sam, I see you got this new artist coming to town. Can I get tickets for that? Oh, sure. Let me get this CD from you. No problem. And that's networking. But we would never think to be like, so, Sam, tell me about your greatest fears. Or like, Sam, what keeps you up at night? Sam, how's your relationship with your parents? You know, what was that like for you growing up? That would be a little awkward, right? That's a little, that's a little far. That's a little personal. Because that's outside the networking relationship. And the temptation is to network with Jesus, to only go so deep so that we can ask for something, but not to go so deep that it will cost us something. And so it looks like, you know, Jesus, networking looks like, Jesus, I want to follow you, and, and we're together. But, you know, this idea of, you know, committing to a church, like a local church, isn't the church just all of God's people everywhere? And, you know, people are kind of weird at churches, and so if I stay too long at one, they might want to be weird with them. I don't like that. So I'm just going to kind of move around. Isn't that Okay. Or, you know, Jesus, like, I'm, I'm following you, but the idea of, you know, giving and serving, that's like super discipleship. That's like the next level. And I kind of got my budget worked out. And so, like, I have the, the dates that I plan on giving, and I'm no good with kids, and I don't want to park cars. And, and so, like, we're just going to kind of network. 
Or, you know, Jesus, like, I, I really want to love my neighbors, but, like, have you met my neighbors? I can't love them. They're awkward. You know, I don't want to go to their game night. You know, and so, I, I mean, I, can I love them without talking to them, Lord? And, and praying for my enemies, that's just, oh, that sounds like this kind of zen-like existentialist thing. And I don't know if I like them and try a new church, if that's what you want. And so, that's what networking looks like. When Jesus says, I know it costs you something. But love is so much fuller and better when it costs you something. Because then it will start blessing you. Jesus says, remain in my love. And what would it start to look like for our lives and for our churches if we remained in Christ's love, if we nested in it in such a way that even when it cost us something, we stayed there. Be pruned and nest in Christ's love. Which leads us to the million-dollar question, right? This is the million-dollar question. It might be the first question we ever learn when we're growing up. From about two years old, we've, kn- we've known it, and we use it a lot when we're two. It's one word. It's three letters. You know exactly which question I'm talking about. Let's say it together. Why? Exactly. Why? Why? Why should I do this? Why be pruned? Why nest? Because, Jesus, this is going to cost me something. Jesus, this is going to cost me something. Why should I let you do this? Why be pruned? Why nest? Well, to answer the million-dollar question, I'm going to leave you in the trustworthy hands of Pastor Jeff Matisich. <laughs> Aren't I lucky? Thank you, Jesse. I mean, when we read this scripture, when we go over 15, Jesse is hit, and when we look at this kind of vine branch language, it says a lot of the same words over and over again. And so we've heard from Jesse about the idea of being pruned and our role as a branch and God's role as the vine and how that plays out. Um, But this word that comes up over and over again is the answer, is the question why we would be pruned, why we would nest with Jesus. And it's this word called fruit. And it goes back to the original question Jesse asked about each one of us deep in our souls wanting a better life. And throughout the scriptures, we see that that kind of better life is part of being with God. Uh, In fact, you might recall Jesus has this thing that he says he came so that we might have life and have it to the full. Well, in, in John 15, that full life, that better life is captured by the idea of a life that bears fruit, a life that is fruitful. And so that's a pretty abstract word. What does it mean, especially in our culture and our context where we think about being fruitful, we think about kind of we bring a Western American uh, definition to that. That means uh, to be fruitful means we're producing something or we have something to show for our life. And the way that narrative plays out in your life and my life goes something like this is the way that I know my life is fruitful. The way that I know that God is blessing me is because I own things. It's because when, when we were young, we started out in a 600-square-foot house, and now we have a 1,200-square-foot house. And my bank account is growing, and that I have more things, and I have more things that I want, things that the culture tells us we're supposed to have, things like security. And friends, when I read through the Scripture, I just see a very different definition of what a fruitful life is meant to be. I'm not suggesting that that those kinds of pursuits or things are wrong. 
But when the idea of that, when I achieve that next level at work, when I can get that next size house, when I can get the bigger income, when those things happy happen, then I will be fulfilled. That's the danger. See, none of those things bring true fulfillment. Jesse and I, as we've talked about preparing this sermon, when we go after those kinds of fruitfulness in our life, that's really kind of like more fluff than real fruit. And, and I'm victim of this. I mean, I'm not saying from up here, boy, all you guys need to figure this thinking out. I mean, we are pounded with this message time and time again. 2006, Jenny and I were preparing to have our first child, our lovely four-year-old boy, Henry. And, 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 and Jenny was working full-time as a teacher. I was here. And we had this idea that part of nesting for us to get ready for Henry meant that we needed to get some things done on our home. We are, I am ridiculously blessed. We live a couple miles up the road. You're always welcome. Sure. Um, but we thought, hey, why we have two incomes and Jenny wasn't going to work as much once Henry was born. This would be the time for us to do some things to prepare for Henry. And so in the name of our first child, we made some really tough decisions about what kind of microwave we would get. And, and I remember one night thinking about how, you know, our, in our bedroom, this would be a real cool moment because we had some money and some equity before the whole market crashed and now we are stuck there forever. And, and there is a, let's get crown molding in our bedroom. That's cool. I like that. Well, I'll tell you, on June, July 17, 2007, when Henry David Matisich was born, I did not hold him in that hospital and look at him and think, Henry... I am so happy that you're going to grow up in a home with crown molding. (laughs) I didn't go, son, it's going to be so, I can't wait for you to play with the microwave someday. (laughs) But that's how our thinking works. That's how it worked for me. We get this idea of like being fruitful and being diligent and being doing these things. And if we could do these things, then it would bring fulfillment. The motivation prior to my son being born was some kind of messed up thinking that thought if we can just do these things to our home, then, then we'll be a little more complete than we are now. But right, we know how that story goes. I've got a new list of things on my home that have to get done that will bring fulfillment. Even over this break, I've been thinking about, because we had some interesting moments with our family, I'm thinking, boy, is this, is this home the right-sized home to raise our family? I mean, these are the questions that come into our mind. We know this. I'm reading this autobiography on Jerry West, one of the most successful basketball players to ever play the game. And the, the title of his autobiography is my, one of the, under, my Tormented Life because Jerry West reflects on his life and he doesn't find pleasure from all of the things he accomplished. He obsesses over the things he never did. Friend that, friends, this is not a fruitful way of living. And we have to find a way to get this kind of thinking far away from our minds because the kind of fruitful living, that better life that the scriptures talk about, that Jesus talks about, has nothing to do with that kind of fruit, but that fruit at its core is all about love. I mean, throughout this passage, we hear Jesus talk about his love and God's love for us. See, real fruit begins with us understanding the depths of God's love for you and I. And that's not like a churchy thing I'm saying. That is a very difficult concept for so many of us to understand. So many of us understand intellectually that God loves us, but when we feel it in our hearts, that distance is huge. Oftentimes, our own relationships with our own parents 
or others in our lives skew the idea of what this unconditional love that's being lavished on you and I is. Friends, real fruit begins with us understanding God's love for us. And there's even this passage in here about when we're connected to that love, he grants the things that we ask. But see, when you're in a relationship with somebody and you allow them to love you, all of a sudden their interests, their things take over your own. Any of you in a marriage can understand that. That you, before you got married, you probably didn't care about some of the things you actually like and care about now. See, when we're in a relationship with God and we allow that love to come and that fruit of his love, all of a sudden our lives begin to change and the things that we value start becoming the things that he values. And our fulfillment comes from his love. See, when that's the source, get the crown molding if you need it. Because it's not, that's not fulfilling you. That's a bonus to life. But what's fulfilling you is God's love. And he even says this. He says, fruit is about you understanding, remaining, staying connected to my love. But fruit is also your ability to take that love that God has given us and to dispense it to a world that desperately needs it. See, real fruit bearing, the way you and I will get a better life in 2013, a better life today, is our ability to allow God's love to penetrate our lives And for us to dispense that love to the world around us. And friends, I think it's time for the church in general and our church to start dispensing love really generously. There is a world that is dying to understand who God is. You know the interesting thing about fruit? It says that people will know God by the fruit in our lives. So by the way you and I understand God's love and grow in his deep affection for us, the way we dispense that love to the world is the very way people will know who God is. So the fruit of our lives is the proof of the discipleship that you and I are going through with Jesus. And so my hope and our prayer for you is this, is that this next year, every one of us would have a New Year's resolution, but that that resolution would be about the right kind of fruit that the resolutions that you and i would make this weekend this coming year would be first and foremost that each one of us would commit that this is going to be a year in which we pursue understanding god's love for us more than we ever have in our life that we would have a passion to understand god and his special affection for you and i and, and that we would move from not just understanding that, but then dispensing it to each and every person we encounter. I mean, we prayed for that for Tim earlier, right? I mean, we, we know because we have an eternal perspective that it's Tim's job to go to Afghanistan and to do what our country's asking him to do. And he will do that well. But he also has an opportunity to dispense God's love to each and every person he encounters. And you and I have that same opportunity. So let me pray for you and pray for us that this year would be a year where love abounds freely in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we we thank you that you are a God um, who likes us and chooses us to remain in you and to be connected to you. We pray this to you today. Prune us, Lord. Point out the places in our lives that need to be pruned back. Not just the destructive stuff, the stuff that's obvious, but God, that you would help us do a real inventory on what takes up our heart and our passion, our priority, 
where we believe we will find fulfillment, that you would prune back some of those things so that we can be about the right things, God. God, I pray too that each one of us in this room would nest, that we would remain, that we would set up for a long time with you, that we would go deeper than we ever have. And God, that this next year we would understand how much you love us, how much you care for us, so much so that you sent your son to die for us and that you ask us to give that kind of love to your world. Help us be incredibly generous dispensers of love in this culture and in this world that desperately needs some love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.